All right, let's bow for prayer, and uh, let's come to our time in His Word. Father, from the singing of songs to the people that have gone forward and put the gems in the bowl and been thankful for answers to prayer this week, we've just been here to worship you today, to recognize you're a great God and that your mercies are new to us every single morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. And now, Father, as we open your word, may we be faithful to understand it and to obey it. Teach us your way and challenge us deeply, whoever we are, whatever we're walking in the door with today, um, whatever burdens might be on our hearts, whatever joys and successes we may have experienced this week or anticipate this coming week. In all of this, we bow before you and say, you are Lord, teach us your ways in these things. Thank you for your help, in Jesus' name, amen. How comfortable are you in your Christianity? It's not a comfortable day and age that we live in today. It's a difficult time. But how comfortable are you in your Christianity? And be careful about how you answer that. Christianity is not meant to be comfortable. Some Christians try to make it comfortable. They try to make it something that it is not. Last I checked, carrying a cross is not a comfortable thing. We are each called to lay our lives down for the cause of Christ, to serve Him and to carry our cross. One writer sarcastically toyed with that idea this way. Well, Lord, yes, sir, I'll bet you're glad you wish you, or best you wish you had more people like me, disciples like me, willing to count the cost, surrender my life. I know it's not an easy road. If you mind, I kind of like to look over the crosses, though, and choose my own, if you would. Um, and maybe if you have a nice one, I'm not fussy or anything, but maybe if you have a nice one, uh, a padded cross, rather than one of those hard wooden things. I'm thinking, of course, of attracting other people. Uh, most people would like a comfortable cross if they're going to carry one at all. Maybe something durable. Maybe something that's flat that I could tuck under my jacket when it's not convenient to be a Christian. Funny, it doesn't seem to be much choice here of the crosses. It's all rough wood. Hmm. Lord, my friends aren't going to be impressed by this workmanship. They're going to think I'm a nut or something carrying one of these things. What's that? It's either one of these or forget the whole thing. But Lord, I want to be your disciple. I mean, just being with you is all that counts, but I have to have balance in my life. Who's going to be attracted by this self-denial bit you want us to hold. I mean, being a disciple is challenging and it's exciting, and I want to do it. But I have my rights, you know. How comfortable are you in your Christianity? How comfortable are you trying to make your Christianity? Are, try, are you trying to remake the Christianity of the Bible into something that's comfortable and just carries you through the difficulties of this life today? Today we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark, and actually we're at the point where Jesus selects 12 to follow him. 
And what he selects them to, what he appoints them to, is not going to be easy. I am reading from Mark chapter 3, and I would certainly encourage you to open your Bibles there, your electronic or your hard copies, whatever, whether you're at home, whether you're here in the auditorium. We'll put the verses on the screen, but starting in verse 13 of Mark 3, we have the calling, the appointment of the twelve. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them as apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, and now their names are listed. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boronergus, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Elpheus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, and now we enter Dan's commentary section on this portion. Lord, help us in application and appropriate interpretation. I want to start with verse 13. The preparations that Jesus made to select and to appoint these twelve. Verse 13 says, he went up into a mountainside and called those that he wanted, and they came to him. Now, this calling is mentioned in a few of the other Gospels as well. So, actually, if you went to Luke chapter 6 and you read this passage, you'd find out it's not as just as quite abruptly as Marcus said it. Mark is very accurate. Jesus went up to a mountainside, he did, and then he called the disciples, and he did. But what you don't know is what he did in the mountainside. Luke 6 tells us what he did. He went up there and he prayed all night. And as a result of prayer all night long, he selected the disciples. Now, this is a very important transitional moment in the life of Jesus. you got to get this. Jesus has just come through a period of time where he's had five major controversies with the religious leaders of the day. And they have disliked Jesus for who he is. And now those religious leaders have plotted to kill Jesus. I don't know how they write that off in their conscience, but they did. Jesus, knowing full well what their plan is, now Jesus says, I will no longer concentrate on simply healing the masses and preaching to the masses and drawing the crowds. Now I will focus on 12 because I won't be here forever. And these 12 will carry on the mission. This is a very transitional moment, a very strategic moment in the life of Jesus Christ, where he chooses to no longer focus on simply the masses and drawing the big big crowds, but on 12 who will carry on his work in ministry. So he goes up into a mountainside, 
and he prays all night. And then, as the text says, he called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. He called them. Now, he's already called five. We, we've seen some calling already going on here in the Gospel of Mark. He's called uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew, and that's five of the 12. Why is he calling them again and, and now seven more? This is a whole different level of calling. We'll get into that in a minute. He's not just calling them to be followers. He's calling them to be apostles now. It's a little different. But would you notice that he called them? He chose them. That's going to be very important in the work that he has for them to do. Because you see, if you choose yourself, you can unchoose yourself. But if he chooses you, you don't have the right to not continue to follow him. He chose you. So Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last. Jesus called them. They are chosen. They didn't choose themselves. They can't quit. Now, this deeper calling here that Jesus is doing, having already gathered his disciples, and they would follow him here and there, and they would hear his sermons and maybe be with him for a day or two and then go back to their fishing or whatever their jobs were. Now, Jesus is turning his attention from ministry to the crowds to these 12, and he's calling them to be with him for the remaining months he has before his death. And now they will be with him. And as the next verse will point out to us in a moment, they are being called to be apostles. They will be given power and authority over the demons and to heal. This is an interesting group of men to call. We'll actually kind of go through their names in a few minutes. They're very average type people. This gives great hope for you and me. If these are the kinds of people that Jesus turns his attention to to carry out his kingdom work, there is hope for you and me. Very average type people. Let's move beyond this idea now to his appointment of these. He didn't just call them. Now he's going to appoint them as it says apostles. He appointed 12, designated them apostles that they might be sent out with him, uh, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Let's start with the two underlying phrases. He appointed them and he appointed them as apostles. His selection he appointed them, and when he appointed them, he gave them authority, even for things like casting out of demons. They were apostles, that is, they were men who were to be foundational in the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing, and they were going to be the ones that the church was built on. We still hold them in very high regard because they kicked this whole thing off. These men were apostles, sent ones, they were commissioned. They had a divine mission from Jesus. Interesting that at least half of them were fishermen. There was a tax collector in there who nobody liked. There was a Jewish zealot in there. We'll explain that later. This was a very diverse group. 
but they were very common, average men. In fact, some would say many of them were below average. If you were going to launch a kingdom movement, would you pick below average people? Would you even pick average? They were not highly educated. They were not wealthy. They were not in positions of power. They were not even theologically trained. This really flies in the face of what we all think about launching something as important as the kingdom of God. Obviously, Jesus is setting a new direction. He has had major controversy with the religious leaders, and he has not at all gotten along with them. He is not in sync with them, and they have rejected him. More importantly, Jesus has now rejected them. He can't build his kingdom on them. He will build it on these 12 average individuals. Interesting. Not one of these 12 came out of the established religious movement. Jesus is sending the religious leaders a message here. We are not in sync, and I'm not building my kingdom on you. Instead, he chooses to take the remaining months that he has before his death and focus on these 12 average individuals. Notice there are two reasons that he calls them to follow him. I put them in yellow there. The first one is to be with him. To be with him. This is about companionship, about mentoring. Time with him. They're going to really get to know him now. As they travel with him, as they eat together, as they rest together. Their hearts have to be deeply impressed with his message in his kingdom. These guys have to be so incredibly committed to the task that is ahead. They have no idea what's coming. They don't know, but their futures are staked on this. They have to learn the difference between hanging with Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. I think today there are Christians that need to learn that. Oh, I hang out, you know, with Jesus and Christians. I go to church on Sunday. But are we truly following him? These guys are going to suffer in the very near future and in the distant future as well. In fact, minus Judas Iscariot, who will take his own life, the other 11, 10 out of 11, will die as the death of martyrs for the cause of Jesus Christ. They will be equipped with a message. They will be equipped with a power and authority to carry it out. And when they perform miracles and cast out demons, people will look at them and say, oh, this must be of God because their giftedness and their authority and their power shows that they're the authentic message of God. At this point, I want to pause in the text, and I want to pull back for a few minutes and make a couple of reflections about church today in America, and even apply this to Calvary, because these are not easy days. And frankly, the tendency in Christianity is to think Christianity will make my life better and easier. 
It will not. That's not what Christianity is about. It's much like Jesus chooses not to focus on the crowd, but instead to focus on a small group of 12 men. Too many churches focus on just Sunday morning only, and Christianity has been defined as going to church on Sunday. This is a weakness in the way we do church in North America. Actually, North America is the only continent in the world where Christianity is not growing. Too many view Sunday morning as being the time where Christians gather. It is, but Christianity is so much more. We talk here at Calvary about making disciples who make disciples. Do any of you feel like sitting in the seat right now that you're actually making a disciple of a person next to you? Maybe not as deeply as you'd like to. Something has to happen outside of Sunday morning service where the body has opportunity to build itself and grow itself and minister to itself. Tuesday night at our elders meeting, we had quite a long discussion on the whole issue of small group ministry at Calvary. Calvary used to have a lot of small groups, and of course, COVID really shut all that down, and most of our small groups have not come back. But if we don't get them back, we could easily become a Sunday morning-only church. Sunday morning is very important. It's good. But if you're sitting in a seat on Sunday morning, you're probably not sitting there using the gift God gave you to help build up his people. Somehow out of the service is where your gift gets used to build. And so many Christians say, well, I don't know how to minister. That's because they sit on Sundays and they think that's Christianity as opposed to being involved using their gifts to minister to other people. We live in a day where people are falling through the cracks in our culture, and there's so much depression and anxiety, it's on a dramatic increase. Ask any counselor. Try to get an appointment with a therapist. You'll have to wait. Loneliness is huge today. Our culture has hit a very hard patch. It escalated tremendously with coronavirus. People have become very self-centered very self-focused. That's a much nicer way to say it, isn't it? We're self-focused. We have, in essence, it's so hard, we're circling our wagons to protect ourselves. The problem is there are many people within our culture that don't have the energy or the ability to circle their own wagons. They might not even have wagons. And so the more we circle our wagons and stay within our wagon circle, the less impact we have to those around us. Our board is absolutely convinced Calvary needs to move back to small group ministries, and in the next weeks and months ahead, we intend to present more of that to you, which probably means some of us have to adjust our schedules to become involved in Christianity beyond Sunday mornings. A strategy of being with people for building of relationships instead of simply circling the wagons. 
a place where in a smaller group you can care for each other in a culture where care is very short today and people are very lonely. A place where you can grow with your gifts and others can grow with theirs and you can minister to each other and not simply be ministered to on a Sunday morning. So this will mean some of our schedules have to be adjusted because coronavirus taught us to circle the wagons, and if anything, we've only gotten back to Sunday mornings, at least for many of us. Prepare to adjust schedules and lifestyles for a richer, more complete Christianity. Now back to these 12. Jesus has chosen to focus on the 12, not just call the masses and have the big show. Focus on the 12 who will carry on the mission. This is where the disciples are made. Now, the last part of this sermon, I really want to focus in on these 12. And I want to take time to actually go through them one name at a time and talk about who some of these guys are. Frankly, some of them we know a fair amount about, some we know very little about. But here's the list of the disciples. And it's interesting that Jesus selected 12, again in light of the fact that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God and a whole new ministry. There was a nation with 12 tribes. Jesus will now establish a new kingdom with 12 disciples. It's an interesting parallel. This list of 12 men is mentioned four places in the Bible. Matthew 10, here in Mark 3, it's in Luke 6, and it's also in Acts chapter 1. Now, it's interesting, if you took some time this afternoon, you read the four different passages, those four passages, what you would find out is the passages sometimes rearrange the names a little bit, and sometimes they use different names. You're like, oh, so there were more than 12. Relax. In some lists, they're called by one name, and in other lists, they're called by a different name, same person. This should not surprise us. Many of us have more than one name. Some of us have nicknames, some have middle names, some have surnames, and so on. I have a good friend who, uh, he's a good friend, I call him by his first name. I've noticed, though, in his business dealings, just for business, he goes by his middle name, and all his business contacts know him by his middle name. Myself, I'm called Dan. By my family that I grew up with, I was called Danny. Don't call me that. I don't like that. I'm grown up now. When I'm in trouble, my mom and my wife call me Daniel. Some of you call me Pastor. All of us have different names. I've taken the liberty to take these 12 names and group them. Nor, oftentimes, they're grouped in pairs, the way Jesus sent them out. And sometimes we refer to them, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, after that, the twos break down. But I've grouped them a little differently. So we have a slide here that will actually show you the names grouped into three, uh, three groups of four names each. Simon, Peter, James, John, Andrew is the first group. And as we go through the groups, you tend to know less and less about them. 
Uh, the next group, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and then finally James the Less, uh, and Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot. Judas was saved for last, not because we know less about him, but because he was the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, sold him out, and then he took his own life. It seems like in this grouping, three groups of four, the first one in each group seems to be the leader, if you would, uh, or the be better one known. For example, the first group, Simon Peter, he's the best known of all the 12. He's probably the leader of the 12. So in focusing on Simon Peter, I would certainly say not only is he a fisherman, and we, most of us know him to be very uh, impulsive. He spoke before he thought. But as God got a hold of his life, he became the dominant preacher of the early church. Who preached at Acts chapter 2, Pentecost? Peter did. 3,000 got saved that day. His name was changed from Simon to Peter. Jesus made a lesson out of that name change. And Simon Peter became one of the greatest leaders of the early church. In fact, for the first 12 chapters of Acts, the early history of the church, Peter is the predominant leader. He started as a very average fisherman. Don't tell me that God can't take average people and do extraordinary things through them. And the world will see. Average? They did what? That's the power of God. Most all of these disciples gave their lives for the cause of the gospel. Peter was crucified at Rome, taking the gospel there. And when his judgment was passed and he was to be crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down out of respect for Jesus. Jesus was crucified head up. He thought, out of respect for Jesus, I need to be crucified head down. So they crucified him upside down. He died for the cause of Christ. The second is James. The text says that he's the brother of John. Both of James and John were fishermen as well. And Jesus gave them the nickname sons of Zebedee. Or he gave them the nickname sons of thunder. They were the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. It seems like wherever they went, they made big booms. There was a time when Jesus was trying to minister in a Samaritan area, and the Samaritans gave him a whole lot of grief, and James and John said, let us call down fire out of heaven, we'll, we'll fry them. Yeah, okay, another big boom. That's the way James and John were. James was one of the first martyrs for the cause of Christ. He died very early in church history. He was beheaded by Herod Agrippa. His brother John, better known to us, John wrote five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. John was a great man of God, but again, he was a, a boom guy. Everywhere he went, he caused trouble. But 
God got a hold of him and changed his life. Who was it that Jesus committed the care to his own mother to? It was John. John became the apostle known as the apostle of love. And if you read 1 John, you see that. My dear children as an older man and, you know, love one another. And he was the apostle of love. This is the one apostle that did not die the death of a martyr. It's not that he chickened out. They tried to kill him a number of times. One time they put him in a cauldron, a big pot of boiling oil, and tried to kill him that way, you know, just fry him to death. He escaped. Every time they tried to kill him, he escaped. So you don't want to keep trying to kill your enemies if they keep escaping, because after a while, people think you're incompetent. So what did they do? They took him and they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, figuring they would neutralize his ministry. And in reality, what he did out there was he wrote the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. You cannot neutralize God's people. They will have their impact. This is the only one who did not die the death of a martyr, as far as we know. The fourth man on the list, Andrew. Now, this is Simon Peter's brother. Talk about an opposite to Simon Peter. I mean, Andrew was much more of an introvert, and some of you are going to really identify with Andrew because he was the -the behind-the-scenes type guy. But the beautiful thing about Andrew is every time you see him in the Bible, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. Who brought Simon Peter to Jesus? Andrew. Remember when they fed the 5,000 and, you know, disciples were saying, where are we going to get the food to feed? Who brought the little boy to Jesus with the loaves and fish? Andrew. He's always bringing somebody to Jesus. We need more Andrews. Average people, quiet people, behind-the-scenes people, behind-the-scenes people. Interestingly, church history tells us he became the patron saint of three different nations. Talk about influence. He gave his life for the cause of Christ. Region where he was living at one point toward the end of his life, he actually won the governor's wife to Jesus Christ. She became a follower. The governor was so angry, he demanded that his wife recant her faith, and she would not. And to get even, the governor killed Andrew, hung him on the cross. Now, oftentimes, they would speed up the death of someone on a cross by breaking their legs so they couldn't push themselves up to breathe. That's what happens. You suffocate in a cross. They didn't break his legs. They let him suffer and suffer. So what did he do? It took two days for him to die on that cross. Every time somebody went by, he preached him the gospel. That's Andrew. The fifth man is Philip, starting the second list, second group. This is not the Philip of the book of Acts, the evangelist Philip. This is a different Philip. This is the Philip that uh, actually he was from the same hometown as Peter and Andrew. So they probably knew each other growing up, but Philip was uh, sort of a thick-headed guy. Things got through to him a little slowly. At the feeding of the 5,000, he was the disciple who said, how in the world are we ever going to feed these 5,000 people? All right, Philip, you'll get it eventually. And he did. Later at one point in the ministry of Jesus, uh, Philip said to Jesus, Jesus, 
show us the Father. And Jesus said, I've been with you all this time and you haven't seen the Father yet? A little thick. Some of you might feel you're that way. Maybe it was a little pessimistic. Church history gives us a couple of ways he was probably martyred. There's division on this one. Uh, probably the most likely is that he was imprisoned in Greece and eventually crucified. Isn't it interesting how so many of these disciples were crucified? You want to follow Jesus? All right, you'll follow him right to the cross. That's how we're going to get rid of you. Then comes Bartholomew. Um, some of you hardly recognize the name Bartholomew. He's also known in another one of the accounts. Uh, he had a couple of different names. I don't know why, but he had a couple of different names. It happens with people. This is Nathaniel. Philip brought him to Jesus. Nathaniel, we don't know a tremendous amount about him, but we do know that in his death he died one of two ways. Uh, one church history account says they filleted him alive like a fish, and then they beheaded his corpse. Another account says they crucified him too. The seventh man is Matthew. You see him up there? Matthew. He was the guy that was the tax collector. His name was originally Levi after one of the 12 tribes. Jesus changed his name and uh, made a point of that. And, you know, it was an important point. But any Jew considered Matthew as a tax collector to be a traitor. And Jesus says, traitors, follow me too. Come, and I'm going to use him to help build my kingdom. And Jesus did. Matthew took the gospel as far as Ethiopia. And there in Ethiopia, his oppressor snuck up behind him and stabbed him in the back with a sword. They killed him. The next is Thomas. A lot of people know something about Thomas, the last in the second group there. Thomas, he's the doubter, right? He's the guy that always has the doubts. And, uh, you know, he takes a lot of flack for being a doubter. Um, at one point, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to Jerusalem, I must die there. And Thomas says, yeah, yeah, let's go, we'll die too. A little pessimistic. The resurrection, when the other disciples had seen the resurrected Jesus, Thomas said, unless I see him with my own eyes, I see the piercings. You know, I'm not believing him. Next time Jesus appears to the disciples, Thomas is there, and Jesus says, come here. Come here, Thomas. Check out my side. Here's my hands. See my feet? And Thomas believed. Those of you with doubt problems, you can believe. Thomas ends up taking the gospel to India, and there he becomes a martyr. They lanced him with a spear in India, preaching the gospel. First one in the third group is James the Less. We don't know why they call him James the Less. The text actually says son of Elpheus, but they, he was called James the Less. Well, there was another James, you know, James and John, a couple of James in there, that's fine. Uh, he might have been 
lesson that he was younger than the other James. So they call him James the Younger or James the Less. Maybe he didn't have quite the outgoing boom personality that James did, so he's James the more subdued, the less. Maybe he was short. We don't know why they call him the less, but this is how the disciples did. You got a couple of James in there. You got a couple of Simons in there. James the less, you know. James, brother, sons of Zebedee. You have ways of distinguishing your group. Uh, one of my sons uh, played varsity volleyball in high school. The six starters, five of them were named John. So they all nicknamed them. We do that in our groups. The disciples were no different. James was martyred in Jerusalem, James the Less. He was preaching the gospel there, and they got so angry, they dragged him to the pinnacle of the temple, they threw him off, and he didn't quite die in the fall, so they beat him to death with clubs. Just because these men were so convinced the gospel was right, they gave their lives for it. The next guy is Thaddeus, and most people don't know a whole lot about Thaddeus. There was another name for him. When you read the other lists in the New Testament, you'll find that there were two Judases, Judas Iscariot, of course, and then there was this guy, Judas. But by this time, I don't think Thaddeus wanted to be known by his name, Judas, so he, who wants, you don't even want to call your dog Judas anymore. So he went by the name Thaddeus in this list. Don't know a whole lot about him, but we do know that he took the gospel to Greece and to Turkey, and there they shot him to death with arrows. And the eleventh guy is Simon the Zealot. Different from Simon Peter, he's Simon the Zealot. You need to know that zealots were people in that day. They were a very passionate group of folks that were very strongly Jewish, and, and anybody who oppressed Jews, they were out to get them. In fact, the historian Josephus called these zealots dagger men. They carried daggers, and they tried to execute Roman officials because Rome was over the Jews. So you can imagine how Simon the Zealot would have felt about having someone like Matthew, a tax collector, in the twelve. And yet both these men serve together and end up giving their lives for Jesus. Simon the Zealot takes the gospel to Africa, and there in Africa they crucified him too. You know, I look at these average and below average guys and how Jesus uses them to bring a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. He deserts the religious leaders and he focuses on 12 average men that he disciples for months on end and prepares them. I can't help but think of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, where he says, Brothers, think of what you were before you were called by God. None of you were wise by human standards. None of you were influential. None of you were of noble birth. God chose the foolish things, you, of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world, you, to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. He's God. And if you want a Lord and Savior, 
who doesn't just use the best of the best, but instead he focuses on average people and uses them to do extraordinary things. Jesus should be your choice. Oh, there's one more in the list, isn't there? There was Judas Iscariot. We didn't kind of mention him because of obviously his horrible deeds, what he did. Jesus actually said it would have been better for him had he never been born. Eventually in the New Testament, uh, the book of Acts, he was replaced because now there's only 11 disciples. And so they uh, got together and they selected one of the other followers of Jesus, Matthias. And that man himself also was stoned and then beheaded for the cause of Christ. It does seem that being a Christian in the New Testament era was dangerous. It wasn't comfortable. It didn't contain padded crosses. It didn't make our lives better today so that we're more comfortable. In fact, other of the early church leaders, Stephen was stoned. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece, taking the gospel there. Mark, the writer of this gospel, was dragged through the streets of Alexandria by a horse dragged to death for preaching the gospel. Paul was beheaded. Barnabas was stoned. Christianity is not about being comfortable. It is about being called by God and given authority to take the greatest message of all, average people taking the greatest message of all to the ends of the earth. That's our call. That's where our lives need to be leveraged, not towards comfort. Culture wants you to leverage your life towards comfort. Is anybody in this culture comfortable? It ain't working. Pick your poison. Jesus is a great way to invest a life. So if you're here today and you don't know him as Savior, I want to encourage you to trust him as Savior. To know that he loved you enough to die for your sin problem, to take the punishment for your sin so you don't have to be punished for your sin. You can be forgiven and you can be with him forever. That's why Jesus died. And he calls you to a life of purpose, a life that will count a life where you're not discriminated against for being average or below average, but instead God Almighty empowers you with the greatest message of all, the message of salvation. Father, I thank you for the listing of these disciples, average people changed by the power of the gospel, Holy Spirit in their lives, changing them, making them like Jesus. Lord, show us your path for life. It's so easy for us to be sucked into what the culture around us calls in terms of comfort and ease. And may we be your people committed to your message. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.